Hello, and welcome to the Seminole Wrap, a podcast about all things Florida State. I'm Tim Allenball, and tonight I am joined by Juan Montalvo. We're going to be discussing Florida State's first win of the season against Jacksonville State. Saw a lot of interesting things happen in this game, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Tomahawk Nation's own John Marchant is going to join me for an interview to talk about what changes we saw and what this could mean for this upcoming season for Florida State uh, at the quarterback position and just offense in general. We'll touch on the game. We'll uh, try not to get too excited about beating an FCS opponent, but at the same time, it's always good to get that first win of the season. We'll talk about all that and more on this week's Seminole Wrap. Harry, play the music. All right, Juan, let's jump right into it. Florida State beat Jacksonville State 41-24. It wasn't the prettiest of performances at times, but there were a few moments where you saw some really, really uh, some hope for the future. So, uh, Juan, give me your thoughts there. Well, first of all, it was a win. <laughs> Those have been far and few between in recent years. And um, while the first four drives looked pretty rough with Tate Rodemaker out there, after that, I think um, the, the the gap in terms of the, the between Florida State and Jacksonville State looked like what it should. It looked like Florida State playing an FCS team and handling them pretty significantly, which is a positive thing. They did what they were supposed to do. And that's really what you want to get out of a game like this. Obviously, you're going to talk in detail with, with John Marchant later on in the podcast about the, the difference in uh, offensive scheme that came about when Jordan Travis t- uh, came in. But I think the biggest thing I want to talk about and take away from this game in general, that, that and yes, of course, the, the opposition wasn't, ga- it wasn't great, but the biggest thing that I saw from the players, and we don't want to be you know, the body language police, but you really did see confidence. And the biggest thing about the, 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 the confidence building in those players is that it breeds investment. You start seeing players engage more in blocks. You saw Tamori and Terry. You saw Ontario Wilson. They both, aside from being the two leading receivers and, and having the most yards after catch and being dynamic players, they also did a great job blocking. Um, and they really put the effort in. I mean, I think – that's one thing that the that the investment that we talked about a lot last week after after a very demoralizing loss to Miami, that investment is built through confidence. And you just saw Jordan Travis look comfortable out there. I mean, he, he was smiling at times. Like he was he was grinning from ear to ear. He was having fun. And that's one thing that he said in, in, in the post game uh, press conferences is you know, he was asked about his brother who was the FSU or former FSU baseball player. Uh, Devin Travis, I think he's with, there was with the Mets organization, but the biggest thing he said is, you know, one of the things is, you know, and it's a cliche in sports, but if you're not having fun, you're not going to perform well. I mean, the, and they really showed that they were, he, he showed at least that he was having fun. And I think that that translated obviously on the field and also to the confidence of the rest of the offensive players. Yeah. I mean, like, like you said, FCS opponent and all, but it, you could see that, it, it was, it was a, a tidal wave of momentum for Florida State. And the more things worked, it seemed like the harder the players were playing. Like the, the more they were, they, were, they were blocking hard on the outsides, they were block, the linemen were blocking harder. Everybody was where they were supposed to be. And even when it felt like a play was about to break down, Jordan Travis would, would scramble and he'd get extra yards. And everything was positive. Everything was positive yards. Everything was... Uh, 
like everybody was helping players up, helping teammates up, high fives, you know, like you said, everybody was having fun and it really felt like, okay, the players were like, all right, yes, we can play. The The first two games are, are not who we are. And they truly seemed like they bought in in that second half, especially. Yeah. You really needed them to, for lack of a better word, just have a cathartic game like this. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I'm sure Florida state fans had the same feeling, you know, after let's say the second quarter about um, those first four drives with Tate Rodemaker were not fun, but for after that, they really, you know, settled in and you could just see it. I mean, they, they, they played more confidently and that, that, you know, again, you expect the offensive line to push around a team like, like Jacksonville state, who's not a particularly good F. CS defense. They had a good offense. Um, obviously, Zarek Cooper, the former Clemson commit, um, but they they did a nice job. I mean, you know, they there were relatively few penalties, um, and that was something that Mike Norvell was asked about in the post game press conference as well. And he was pleased to see progress in that sense. Going by position group, uh, I mean, Ladanian Webb and and uh, Lawrence Tofili both showed that Jay Sean Corbin's got to got to watch out. I mean. Corbin has not been ex- excellent in pass protection. Um, that's an area that he needs to improve. Lawrence Sofili in particular did a really nice job in pass pro. And of course, I mean, he's, he's, he's probably looked like the best running back overall this, this season through three games. And again, against the backups in my uh, first Miami and against an FCS defense in Jacksonville state, but he's, he's a talented player. I mean, and he's, he's gonna, he's gonna be getting more snaps. There's a reason why they added a second running back position to the depth chart this week. There's a running back position and a tailback position and Webb and Tofili were listed as co-starters at the tailback position and running back starter. The running back starter was Jay Sean Corbin. And I think they're going to, they're going to see a lot of those two back sets, especially if they stick with that Jordan Travis triple option, which I know you and John talked about quite a bit later in the podcast. Yeah, the the thing is, Florida State might not win a lot of games this year, but I think Mike Norvell, by um, choosing the move to Travis, by increasing Toa Feely's snaps, web snaps, I think you'll start seeing more of Kintron Portier. I think you're going to start seeing more and more of these younger players. He's he's building for the future, and I think this is going to be his selling point to to boosters, to fans to recruits is come be part of the rebuild and look look on the field yes we we're losing games but we're getting better and if you come here you're going to get to play at a at an early stage in your career yeah i mean he's definitely proving that and he was very adamant about building for the future in his press conference on saturday night i mean obviously the first two games sort of derailed any momentum they had both on the recruiting trail and in just the general football sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and be, the nice part about being able to get a lot of the young players in, or in is that the, with the expectations being a little lower after such a poor showing to start the year, you get to really build for the future. I mean, you don't have to worry about, okay, you know, let's say if he were a true uh, senior in a, in a non-COVID time, you're not going to worry as much about Deontay Love-Taylor, but all right, that's the guy who's going to play for you two years. You're not going to try to move him on. So, I mean, you know, but you, you saw him at left tackle. You saw Robert Scott at right tackle. Um, I think if they were sitting right now at one and one with a good or, or two and one rather with a, with a good win over, over Georgia tech and a more respectable showing against Miami, you might still have, you know, 
even James Bachman playing. I mean, he didn't take a single slap, snap during the game, which was somewhat surprising even late in the game. Um, but I think building for the future, it's pretty obvious they're doing that. Uh, as far as offense-wise, we've got a lot more to talk about. So at this time, we're going to jump over to John Marchant from Tomahawk Nation. We're going to dive into the offense with a really deep dive uh, and then touch on the defense on the back end. But uh, again, Florida State, first victory of the year. Let's see if they can build on it from here. All right, at this time, we are welcoming Tomahawk Nation's John Marchant. John would have been heard last night on our, or just the other night on our Instant Reaction podcast. John, how are you doing, man? I'm good, man. How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, I'm excited about talking to you. Um, you know, our, our, our readers and people that are familiar will have heard you on the four vertical segments that we have on Tomahawk Nation. But if you wouldn't mind, talk about how long you've been here at Tomahawk Nation and uh, some of the stuff you do for the site. Yeah, uh, I first joined it as a member back, I think, in 2010, I want to say. Um, but I joined it officially as a writer uh, in 2018. So uh, it's been good times lately. Um, but I really do enjoy what, what I do f- for uh, the site. Uh, do anything but a little like film review, like you said, the four verticals. I've written a few, a couple kind of like magazine type pieces. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I love doing that type of stuff uh, when the opportunities come around. So uh, again, always looking to expand what I'm doing. So I'm, I'm kind of excited to be here. Yeah, it's a little eye-opening. If you go and, and read our website, you'll see your name all over the place. Uh, you write a lot of our, uh, our daily articles that come out in the mornings, the null news, just different things like that. So you have your hands in just about everything. <laughs> yeah. And I, I kind of like it that way, honestly. Um, you know, cause then well, yeah, it never gets boring. You always touch on, on everything. So it's nice yeah. to do that. Well, you are the last member of the four verticals uh, that has been on the show. So uh, we've now completed that whole cycle. Uh, Save the best for last. Exactly. Exactly. One was the first, so we had to get that one out of the way. Uh, And then we just get better and better each time. But uh, um, I kind of feel like you're a little bit of the unheralded member uh, of the four verticals because uh, Kevin is doing so much of the segments and are, are the illustrating there. And then Adam is, uh, Adam we've had on a few times and he's just, is, you know, like an encyclopedia of, of play calls and stuff. And of course, Juan is a little bit here and there, but, uh, I, I think you have just as much to offer. So I'm super excited about talking about Florida state's first win of the season, uh, against Jacksonville state this past week. So if you're ready, we're going to jump right in. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Um, the first thing that stands out and I think the thing that we're probably going to speak the most to was the offense. Um, a, a lot of changes. Uh, no James Blackman. We started out with Tate Rotomaker. Didn't quite work out. Went to, went to Travis Jordan. But let's start with why it was so important that Mike Norvell started out with Tate Rotomaker. Uh, yeah, I absolutely it was. Um, so I look, Blackman is a good kid. James Blackman is a good kid. I think he's a, a probably a great locker room presence, but you know, with his struggles over the last couple of years, he's, he's not the answer. And I think, you know, going 0-2, especially that big loss to Miami, it was really important for Norvell and the staff to show that the program is going somewhere, that there's a direction here, right? Something that you can build on and point to, because at some point, you know, you got to be worried about recruiting. So, you had to see what you had in Rotomaker. You have to uh, throw that kid in the fire and see if he can play. Uh, unfortunately, it just it didn't quite work out. He doesn't look ready. Uh, you know, missing some throws. He kind of looked like he was, 
little deer in the headlights a little bit, just wasn't sure of, of what was going on. Um, but I do think absolutely you, you had to make that move if you're Norvell. Um, again, it's, it, even setting aside the fact that you're trying to win games this year, which, you know, this year could just be a wash, <laughs> you really have to show and salvage at recruiting that, that you're going somewhere, you're building something. I think that's the most important part. It's definitely got to be a difficult balance for Norvell, Norvell and the coaching staff to feel like they uh, to feel like they, they need to try to win, but at the same time, uh, you can't lose the locker room by moving on to the youth, and at the same time, have to be able to show that the future it, it are these young kids, and it's the next class coming in. I mean. It, it, we'd like to give these coaches a hard time. We'd like to say, uh, why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? I think we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg with what they're having to deal with. Oh, yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's a great point. Uh, it, it can't be easy, right? <laughs> I mean, it's like in NFL teams. The coaches have a responsibility to the players to put the best guys on the field so that they can win games. And you're right, it's not any different here. Uh, so, you know, look, black men and his struggles, it's just – you had to see what else that you had. And, uh, you know, look, we all wanted Tate to succeed. I heard that there was a big cheer for him when he came on, uh, which is which is awesome. But, you know, he just – he isn't ready. And I, I so think he also, to your point, Norvell moved to Travis at the right point in the game. He gave Rotomaker, I think, three or four drives. And, you know, it wasn't working. We are down 14 nothing. We needed a spark. So I think he – that's another part of the decision-making I thought that Norvell did really well with yesterday. Right. I, I mean, I think he gave Tate a full quarter, you know, so he, he let him have the opportunity. He didn't immediately snatch him out right after the pick six or anything like that. So um, I, I, that was a good point. I hadn't really thought about it. It wasn't like uh, we didn't give Tate a fair chance. Tate got a shot and, and he just, there was no improvement through each series. And so, like you said, he made the good call and let's transition to that. Uh, Jordan Travis came in and immediately led Florida State to, I think, five straight touchdowns, Uh, you know, just drive after drive after drive. But it it wasn't so much that he came in and and was uh, imitating what what Blackman and Rodemaker were doing, and he was just doing it better. They morphed the whole offense when Jordan Travis came in. Yeah, it really looks like they've kind of built out a package for him because it wasn't just like the, the Travis Cat, like Travis and the Wildcat. It wasn't like that. Um, so, I, look, look <laughs> you know, they moved to Travis at the right time, and the offense that they built around him, I think, fits his skill set perfectly. Now, we thought early on this season that his arm hadn't been healthy. Um, he had tried only that one pass, and he kind of dirted it. It wasn't even a, a difficult pass. So, for him to come out, it looks like his arm is healthy. Uh, he actually attempted some deep throws that were, you know, accuracy was pretty good. The placement mm-hmm. was pretty good. So we hadn't really seen that. And I, I look, I think that Florida State now has their quarterback for the season. I think and you don't know what, how far along in the offense uh, Chubba Purdy is or, or that type of thing. I think that the offense that they ran yesterday with Travis is one that, that Purdy could probably run also. But right now with that streak of five touchdowns, I mean, that's, that settles it right there, right? Right. Uh, so l- let's look at the offense that it changed into. Like you said, it, it felt a little bit like a package, but it was more expanded than three or four plays. Um, can, you, can you really kind of touch on the formations? Uh, would you say this is a wing T offense, for lack of better words? Is it almost Georgia Tech-esque? 
from the past or, or how would you describe this offense? Um, so that's a great question. I, I'm not as familiar uh, with the wing T stuff as, as Adam is. Um, what I, what I saw was a zone read based uh, scheme. So Travis would, you know, read a defensive end or, or whoever, and he would either keep it or hand it off to a running back, you know, Webb and Toffoli, I thought had great games. Um, but he, th- what I thought was so interesting about this was besides the zone read, which is options one and two, right? Uh-huh. They had a bubble or some other pass attached to it. And that's kind of what made, made it a lot like a triple option. And I thought that was fantastic. I thought that Travis did really well with that. He consistently made good reads uh, when he was throwing out into the flat in those bubbles. His throws, they came out quick on time and they were accurate. So yeah, it's definitely more than what we'd seen to this point in the season. And not only do I think it fits Travis's skill set, uh, again, it's it's and they ran out of different formations, like you said. So they kind of went back to a little bit what they had done with Miami, where they had uh, trips or a trips bunch to one mm-hmm. side, and then it was a nub or a closed side formation to the other side. And they had a lot of success with that in Miami, even though they you know they only put up ten points. Right. But here against Jacksonville State, I mean, they're just chewing through yards on the ground. The, the thing that I went back and, and kind of charted a little bit, uh, before Jordan Travis comes in the game, Florida State has three plays for loss of yards. After Jordan Travis came in the game, they had one play for no gain, and the very last play of the game, which was the kneel down, was the only play where Jordan Travis was quarterbacking where they had a loss of yards. Yeah, it's, it's so weird because we had looked all summer at the Memphis offenses and even though it was a run-based scheme that Nova had ran there with Kenny Dillingham, it was explosive. And so putting in this kind of option offense with Travis, you saw that explosiveness. And that's what we've been looking for this whole time. So it was, and, you know, in Toafili and Webb, they run real hard. They had good vision. It was, it was just awesome to see. I think we've been waiting for that for a long time. And it's nice to actually have that kind of identity on offense. They finally found it. So let's focus on Jordan Travis for a minute and, and what the expectation is for quarterbacks going forward in this kind of Mike, Mike Norvell triple option slash uh, zone read offense. So uh, the things that stood out to me is that with Jordan Travis at quarterback as compared to James Blackman is now defenses have to respect the quarterback, uh, the quarterback's legs. Uh, it feels like in the past, uh, they had they they could they didn't have to defend that option at all because Blackman wasn't going to keep the ball and and that really hampered I I feel like it hampered Kendall Bryles' offense uh, you know Willie Taggart's offense and and was already starting to hinder uh, Mike Norvell's offense so I mean what by allowing or by having a running quarterback what does this do to the defense. It, it does everything. Um, having a running quarterback, and in some instances, too, they, they even rolled the pocket out, right? Mm-hmm. So having a running quarterback in their running threat on every single play, because that's what they did first. They established his own read. You know, Travis would keep it, he'd hand it off. And once you establish that, then you start working off of that. You can run counters or those bubble screens, right? And then you start rolling the pocket out. You get the play action. And it just sucks all the defenders in that second line of the defense and opens up everything uh, behind them. So it's... Yeah, it can seem counterintuitive, but you establish the running game and it really takes the top off of the defense, right? And we saw that. They rolled out Travis, uh, gave him a little bit more time, right, to throw. And he, and again, the play action 
sucked it up because you have to respect the fact that he may roll out and take off. And he made those deep throws to, to Helton and Travis for big, huge gains that put us in scoring position. Yeah, I think Helton's was I, – I may be speaking wrong. It was like 52, and Terry was like 48. Uh, I mean, the longest plays of the season for Florida State, basically. Uh, it, was, it was eye-opening. Uh, it it uh, When he rolls out like that, I, I'm not used to seeing that wide of open space for a Florida State quarterback. Uh, it, it seems like if, if Blackman had ever rolled out like – they the defender was closing on him like stat, but they can't do that on 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 Travis because you you close in from that position and you're automatically at a bad angle and he's got the sideline on you. So they have to kind of do that floating out there and and will I commit? Won't I commit? You know, uh, it, it really puts a strain on the defense. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I was uh, on a rewatch. I was just doing um, in the second half. They ran a couple of it was almost like a pop pass, right? So mm-hmm. he does his own read. Travis keeps it and he's about to take off. And then as the defense starts to commit to him, he threw it out into the flat where he had two receivers blocking, who I thought the receivers did a good job blocking in this game. He throws it out into the flat. It was, again, almost like a pop pass. That's impossible to defend, right? Uh, it, it, you, you can't account for two different guys like that at, at one time. You just can't. No, the, the, uh, the thing that stands out there, I, there was one specific play where I think they almost faked out the cameraman. He goes to his left like he's going to – like he's gonna, commit to running and then he just throws it to the sideline. You think he's throwing it out of bounds or something. Cause you can't even see uh, Pookie Wilson out there. And then he catches it and he runs for about eight, eight yards. But the, the one thing there that, that stood out to me was you talked about the wide receivers blocking. I felt like this game and, and I, and <laughs> we do have to know this was against Jacksonville state. This was against, you know, right. an FCS opponent. We, we all realize that. Um, and we're not trying to like be like, well, this offense has it's got it. They're going to just crush everybody. They're going to struggle. Um, but the wide receivers engage their blocks better than I- any of the past two games. Like they felt engaged. And I don't know if that's because there's so many quick pop passes that they were getting the ball and suddenly they feel like, okay, I'm part of this offense. I'm going to start playing because because now I, it, I don't know when, but I'm going to get the ball. Yeah, I, that's a great point. I, I don't know what it was that they responded to, if the coaches challenged them this week or, again, like you said, you move to this type of offense that it just engages them more and, and they feel, like, you know, they're more in participation. Uh, but, yeah, they were into it. And you've got to love their effort, especially, you know, Terry had some, some struggles and some frustrations, you know, mm-hmm. understandably so far this season. But he gave effort, you know, uh, when it wasn't his turn and, and he was blocking, he gave effort. And then when it was his turn, you know, he made the most out of, out of his opportunities. Uh, and you need that, you know, again, a lot of this goes back to having that identity and knowing what you're doing and being focused. It just makes everything simpler. It just clicks, but you are right too. It was Jacksonville state. It's not like they're going to come out and roll over Notre Dame. Right. You know, right. it's, it's right. a, it's a process and, and, you know, we'll have to see where they go from here. So from the wide receivers in this type of offense, uh, what should be the expectation? I mean, we're, we're probably going to only see, I would say two to three, maybe at the most five attempts a, a game to take the top off, I would think. Everything else is probably going to be a lot of the bubble, a lot of the trips, um, maybe some, some slants. But, but what should be the expectation from the wide receivers if they stick with this identity? Um, 
I think it should be it should be pretty good. I mean, to the, this point in the season, until this game, I didn't think that they played up to their their talent level. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, obviously, Torian Terry. Uh, I think Keyshawn Helton was still kind of working his way back from from that injury, but he looked fantastic in this game, both as a receiver and in the return game. Great in the um, return game, yeah. Yeah, so I have higher expectations for them going forward. I, you want to see that kind of effort every single game. Like again, even if they go to Notre Dame and and get blown out, you still want to see them give that type of effort. So. Uh, you know, you, you still want to see more of that commitment from them going forward. But I have, I, I think that they're a talented group. You know, we didn't see Warren Thompson. I thought Warren Thompson was still a good blocker, even though we didn't really see him in this game from what I remember. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and, and Kentron Poitier looks great in camp so far. He hasn't really got a whole lot of, of um, you know, real snaps in a, right. in a meaningful snaps in a game. But look, there's talent there. And you, that's the only thing too about this offense is it's not, I don't think overly complicated. I'm not going to denigrate and say it's it's a high school offense because I don't think there's anything wrong with that, right? If it works, it works. Right. But I don't I don't think that this offense for the receivers is is overly complicated. So you would expect a certain competence level in executing it. Yeah, Jordan Young also showed up with a great catch there, one that he kind of bobbled and caught on his back. But I think this is my thought. Since you're going to see a lot of more of those shorter passes, the responsibility is going to fall on the wide receivers now to execute more. Because now if they don't block, then the offense is going to fall apart because so much hinges on them that if there's going to be success on the outside, they've got to do their job. So, so maybe just having that responsibility is going to force them to engage more. And if they don't play or if they don't block, then next man up. Right. And one issue with them too, I want to note is their route running really isn't good. Um, mm-hmm. And maybe that we one thing with the bubble screens and stuff, it's, it's not that difficult, you know, as opposed to what they were doing on a black man, but their route running still isn't great. That's something that they need to work on, especially because I don't think Travis is, he's not a precisely accurate passer. Uh, like, like, for example, we talked last week about Tate Rotomaker at the end of the Miami game, had a great, beautiful back shoulder pass right. with uh, some anticipation we saw Travis attempt a few of those back shoulders and they, they weren't accurate. It didn't, it didn't work out. Um, so you're going to need the receivers to work on being precise and being where they need to be or where they're supposed to be in the routes because Travis isn't quite precise. Right. And you right. got big guys like Terry and, and some other guys have nice catch radiuses, but a radii, but uh, <laughs> you, the receivers need to be where they need to be to help them out. That makes a lot of sense because, I mean, it, knock on James Blackman all you want. When James was on, his, his passes could be really good. Some nice spirals, you know, saying that in jest, but we've seen some wounded ducks here and there. But, you know, nice tight spiral to the sideline. He could, he could catch a receiver when he could get the deep ball going. He could be pretty accurate at times. Yeah, Jordan, Jordan's his, – his deep balls to me were a little bit of just throwing it up and trying to get it to a spot. And like you said, these receivers are going to have to run their routes better to, to be in those areas so that, um, you know, you're, you've got a better option out at quarterback in some ways. But, it is, but, I mean, the reason he hasn't started yet is probably because of that exact reason. Right, yeah. And, again, going back to what we said, we didn't think that his arm – because he looked better in spring than he did in the first couple, se- you know, uh, weeks here this season. Mm-hmm. So we thought his arm wasn't healthy. It, it's clear that his arm is – pretty much fine now and and it's coming at the right time uh but yeah he's and that's a good point too he i thought he did a good job like you said the the dig the big deep passes to terry and helton 
I thought he did a good job putting in a spot that not only gave his receiver a chance, but didn't really give the defender a chance to, to intercept it either. Right. Um, but again, those guys, those guys are athletic. They did do a good job getting behind the defense, but it all goes together, right? You sucking up the, the, the defenders with the run game and the, the threat from Travis, um, you know, I thought that they did a good job of using wide splits from the receivers also mm-hmm. when they moved to Travis, just really attacking them horizontally, stretching out that defense. It's hard to defend uh, the running backs and Travis when you're using the whole horizontal length of the field and then sucking them up and then throwing over the top. It's, it, it worked. So, um, You know, Cam McDonald didn't, didn't do a whole lot this game. Does this offense not allow him to shine or maybe they just got to find out the right place to get him involved? Uh, that's an interesting question. I hadn't really given a whole lot of thought about. Um, see, I thought the first couple of weeks of Blackman that McDonald should have been a bigger feature of the passing game. Agreed. Uh, his blocking, right. His blocking leaves quite a bit to be desired, even though he's willing. Um, but as a receiver, I thought he really shined. So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see if they can fit him in here somehow, whether it's uh, receiver screens like we saw late against Miami, uh, those types of things. Uh, working those in with Travis, I think, could, could be actually potentially devastating to defenses. Right. I, I think you know, Cam, Cam McDonald is such a great uh, pass catcher. And then he also does a great job of once he gets the ball getting down the field, um, which I thought the team as a whole did better this game. So I, I will definitely be interested to see how they get him involved. Um, let's talk about running backs real quick, though. Toafili, uh, Lawrence Toafili, true freshman, but Damian Webb, the, the transfer, and Jay Sean Corbin, all of them uh, are kind of different backs, but I really feel like Toafili and, and Webb really stood out this game. Uh, what, what's the difference, and, and why are they being successful compared to Corbin, who was the starter at the beginning of the year? Uh, yeah, so Corbin, um, his pass blocking wasn't great. I think he misses some reads in the run game. Uh, I like the way he runs. I think he's a, a nice, fluid kind of pass catcher out of the backfield. But in the running game, he, he kind of leaves some yards on the field for you. Uh, what I think is so interesting and fun about Webb and Toa Feely is I, I love the burst that they have, the power that they run with. They seem to know because they haven't gone through other offenses, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. you know, well, especially Toa Feely, right? He's a, he's a true freshman. So um, this is – they're picking up the offenses is the only one that they've had so far here in college. And uh, especially with Toa Feely in the, the power running game, they'll, they'll like to pull a couple of the guys, whether it's McDonald and a guard or a tackle and a guard. They're pulling these guys, and Toa Feely's doing a great job following right behind them, squeezing through that hole, kind of getting skinny. Um, and then using that burst and power to drive forward for, uh, you know, five, six, seven, eight yards, uh, which we didn't have before. So, um, again, I think it's more of – it's not so much that Corbin's been bad outside of the, the pass protection. I just – you really love the the way that Webb uh, and Toafili are running. And I think that they make a great one-two punch, and I kind of want to see more of them going forward. So, if, if, you know, Florida State sticks with this identity and with the zone read um, – is it is this primarily going to be the runs? Is it going to be you know kind of off that zone where they're trying to find the the hole and following the, the pool blocker, or are we going to see some a lot uh, some screens? You know, just what what is the expectation again for the running backs going forward? Uh, is what what type packages will we see them excelling in? Right. So just like you know, we're looking at the big picture of this season. We want to see 
progress from week to week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, again, I mean, this isn't a good team. Like we talked about, they're still not a good team. So even though we have an identity, we're going the right direction. So a lot of things under Taggart's uh, tenure, they just they didn't really get better throughout the whole year, right? And this year, that's what we wanted to look for. They didn't really do that against Miami, right? We played some of the younger guys. They played some of the younger guys at the end. Um, but this week, I thought was that was what was so important about it is now we have an identity. We're moving forward. So in the small picture here, I want to see the same thing. Just build off of it, right? Like you said, add in some of the wide receiver screens um, and some of, the, some of these other things. The RPOs, right? I thought we saw a little bit more of those. We hadn't really seen them so far this year like we did under Kendall Browse last, last season. So build more of that stuff, right? You know, more than just the bubble screens. You could fake the bubble screen and then run an RPO off, off the zone read, right? It's still almost like a triple option offense. Um, but I want to see more of that going forward. Just build it out, more counters off of what they established against Jacksonville State uh, and, and see, you know, again, just every week try to build off of it and add more things to punish defenses for trying to figure out what you're doing. And that's kind of an exciting part of this going forward is now that maybe they have this established offense, they can every week install, you know, two to three new plays or, or two to three new looks now. So a defense that's trying to now learn what, what Florida State's doing is going to be caught off guard, I think, a couple times. Yeah, absolutely. Again, you establish that running game and you're explosive off of it, and then you roll out Travis and use the play action to hit those shot plays. Because again, one of the criticisms that we had of the offense under, under James Blackman was it just looked like one shot play after the another, after another, even when he checked into it and that was the right call. But there are other times where, you know, he passed up those, those shorter, quicker throws that we thought could have kept drives alive and, and moved the chains with this offense. It's, it's almost inherently built into it, right? Because it's based off of the running game and it looks a lot more like what we saw with his Memphis offenses. So, yeah, absolutely. I think that and, – and, and Norvell was so good at Memphis, too, from the offenses that we looked at, uh, even not just from game to game or, you know, series to series, but even within a single series, you know, establishing a, a, the inside zone or the zone read and then building off of it. So he's got that experience doing that, and I'm really excited to see how they start to do that going forward. All right, so let's, let's go to the offensive line, and then we'll touch on the defense briefly. Uh, we saw a lot of different uh, alignments with the offensive line. There was some rumors uh, about maybe Maurice Smith and Dante Lucas were, were out for uh, pers- personal reasons or personnel reasons, however you want to say that, uh, maybe serving a suspension, maybe some team rule violation. We're not sure, so we're not going to say for, for positive, but that was some of the speculation out there. And so as a result, we didn't see Dante Lucas at all, and we didn't see Maurice Smith till the second half. Um, so we had a little bit of a patchwork offensive line in the first half. And then Darius Washington goes down, which uh, looks like a leg injury. And they started uh, shuffling Love Taylor all over the place. But what, um, <laughs> where, was, where, where was the offensive line successful this game? And again, I know Jacksonville State, but they did things, I think, right compared to where some of the mistakes happened in the past. Right. And again, you know, you always talk about the talent level in this game. You know, we get it. But – uh, there have been a lot of misassignments in this season leading up to this game. So, yeah, after Darius Washington went down, I believe they moved Devontae Left-Taylor from right tackle to left tackle, which I thought was very interesting. So you had uh, Devontae Left-Taylor, and then I believe it was Baselli at left guard. Uh, Marie Smith did come in, like you said, at center. Then you had Bavion Johnson at right guard. And then, interesting enough, uh, Robert Scott came in. It's the first that we 
but I believe he's had uh, meaningful snaps. He did show up a little bit late in the Miami game, but here he, you know, he stepped right in the right tackle. I thought he did a great job, you know, especially for a freshman where he's at. So that was very interesting, right? Now, yeah, Washington went down right before halftime. And so they, they moved this around, right? They moved Love Taylor to left tackle. What I thought was so interesting is, um, is uh, in the second half, that's when they, you know, they kind of made these adjustments, the staff did, right, to move this offense around. And I thought that they executed their blocks better, right? Uh, especially when they're pulling, you didn't see a whole lot of the whiffs or anything like that. Um, and they ran more like some offset wing type stuff in the formations. But yeah, I think they even put Chaz Neal in at left tackle, right, uh, when Washington went down. So Neal doesn't give you a whole lot. He's kind of a liability when it comes to pass sets and pass protection. Uh, but in the running game, he, you know, he's okay, right? He can, he can at least, you know, stalemate or hold his ground, that type of thing. So I thought that the fact that the staff is still trying to work through a group that, that works uh, is, is a good sign, I think. And I thought that they did a much better job. I still think Murray Smith is your best option at center. He's got to start there. Um, but it was also interesting, too, is after Baselli went down uh, later on in the second half, they moved Love Taylor again. So they put Chasneal back in at left tackle, and they moved Devontae Left Taylor in, and I believe it was it was a right guard. I think it was, uh, it could have been left guard, but they moved him to guard, which I thought was really interesting. So if you feel like Robert Scott is your future at one of the tackle spots, right? Maybe Washington yeah. comes back and takes the other one, but moving uh, Love Taylor into the guard spot, which I thought he he was was okay there. I, you know, I have to rewatch, but I thought he was good. So they're doing some interesting things. I think maybe they're getting closer to having a final five that they really believe in that can actually give you, you know, average or potentially even above average play as they mature and develop. You know, and we heard that speculation at the beginning of the season or back in February when, when Love Taylor transferred over that he really wanted to work at the guard spot that they saw maybe that was his future. If he had a chance in the NFL, Uh, Florida state just wasn't able to accommodate that with, with the tackle position. So It'll be interesting if Washington gets healthy and Robert Scott, who, by the way, is a very large man, um, <laughs> uh, does start to really show up. We could see some different formations show up there. Um, with this type of offense from, you know, this option type zone read, does this help the offensive line? In, in, and what I mean by that is it make their job easier than what they were running? Yes, I think it does. Um because even with these types of pop passes and things like that, that they're, that they're doing to try to keep defenses honest, uh, or even the RPOs, right? You can still have the offensive line run block and do that run action. And their run action can actually help the pass protection, as well as rolling out the pocket like we saw a couple of times. Um, so all of those things help, especially doing the run action. Because, again, uh, take Chaz Neal, for example, right? He's an absolute like, – he can't do a pass set. But the run action really does help them. They're allowed to, to attack a little bit more, right? And it's a little bit uh, – the rules are a little bit looser than they are in the NFL. The NFL, you can't go more than one yard down the field. Here you can go a few more yards than that, right? So it gives them a little bit more that they can actually try to do Because the other problem, too, is uh, they don't get a whole lot of push um, in the run game. So sometimes you get rolled up on, like we saw with Washington and Baselli. Um, so a lot of these guys are cross-training, everything like that. But I would agree with you. The run action absolutely helps in pass protection. Um, and I think that it, it will, uh, going forward, it, you know, you're not going to see as many of those just horrible sacks that we saw before. <clears throat> One more question, and then we'll switch to the defense real quick. 
does this type of offense force a defensive line to almost have to freeze for a second where like where they're almost reading or are most defenses still going to be like, this is my assignment to take this gap and I'm going to blow through it no matter what, or try to blow through it. Or is, is this going to maybe give that offensive line just a second advantage? Uh, yeah, potentially. Cause even, I mean, there's, there's two different ways you could do it, right? Single gapping or, or two gapping. Right. And two gapping defensive line tries to control the two gaps on either side of them. Right. You know, whether mm-hmm. it's the A gap or B gap or, or whatever. Yeah, there are some defenses like Miami's, for example, that are just one gapping and they just want to penetrate their gap. Each each defender is assigned to a gap. and They just want to penetrate. Right. Well, one thing we like so much about Norval's offense is he likes to move those gaps around and outflank the defense. So, yes, I do think potentially, yeah, it could give some defenses uh defensive line you know kind of slow down their pass rush a little bit and then like you said um it just helps those those extra seconds help every second helps when you have an offensive line who struggled for the past couple of seasons right so all that stuff can go together the rolling out the pockets the run action on blocking even on pass plays it all helps all of it i'm i'm excited to see how they do against a team like notre dame like obviously none of us think they're going to beat notre dame but if we, if, you know, if this team goes out and scores 20 plus on Notre Dame, I think that's, that's successful. Yeah, I would agree with that. Cause look, I mean, what, what we scored, uh, what did FSU score? 13 against Georgia tech, right? 10 right. against Miami. And then we come out and score. What was it? 41 or 42? Yeah. 41. Yeah. 41. So we more than doubled uh, our pre <laughs> in one game. Again, it's, 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 you know, Jacksonville state. We get it. We get it. Uh, but yeah, if they go to, out against Notre Dame, a, a team that you know we, they're going to struggle to block up front. And, you know, we can still try because oh, and this is nothing I forgot to talk about too. Real quick, was what was so frustrating too about about the Blackman offenses and everything, and they struggle so much to stay ahead. It was inevitable every series you get down to third and twenty. But now that you're establishing the run, right? What happens? You get yourself more into second and six, second and five, third and three not third and 20, third and 15, and all the other stuff where you're just dead in the water every, every time you take the field. Um, so when it comes to Notre Dame or, or teams where, you know, much better defensively up front that we're going to struggle uh, blocking, uh, at least, you know, you're not going backwards, right? We're, so we're still moving forward. You might have second and eight or third and seven, but it won't be third and 20. Yes, and I think back to Notre Dame the last two years, maybe, just maybe, uh, Notre Dame will be forced to bring more than four people on the rush. Oh my God. <laughs> that was so bad. All right. Let's jump to defense real quick. I know we've already got about 30 minutes, so we'll make this quick. Um, did you see any improvements on defense that stand out to you? No, I mean, <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> All right. So right away from, I think literally the first, uh, Jacksonville State's first play from scrimmage all the way throughout the game. They just attacked the boundary over yep. and over and over again. Um, it's, it, we were trying to hope, you know, again, the offense seems to find an identity and a direction. I think the defense is still looking for that. Uh, we saw Asante Samuel more on the boundary. Uh, sometimes he was in press man. Sometimes he was in off man coverage, which I thought was interesting is generally the press man on the boundary, uh, the boundary corner plays press man in, in this defense. Um, so Asante Samuel is better. But we did also see Jaron Jones there and Akeem Dent there. Um, you know, the, they're just, it's still struggling. And it wasn't just 
the talent issue and all the other stuff, they also, I thought it was interesting, Jacksonville State exploited our uh, mis miscommunication there. So it's very important for the defenders to communicate. There was a one play in particular. I can't remember exactly where in the game it was, though. Uh, but the defenders didn't switch, and Jacksonville State took advantage of that. So that's something that they're going to have to work out. So a lot of these issues are coaching and these, and these kids just being more familiar and getting more reps and, and, like we talked about, triggering on their run fits and what they're seeing. It just looks like they're thinking too much. But it's still clear for a team like Jacksonville State, I know their offense may have um, more Division One FBS talent than – a lot of FCS teams, you know, Zara Cooper, I think, was a, a four-star. He went to Clemson before he transferred. But uh, it's still disappointing to see them have success. And we knew they were going to to some extent. But they had a lot of success early and throughout the game, uh, just attacking that boundary. And then also the linebackers in coverage. Again, that's been an issue for, for years now. Um, and they exploited that also in this game with some of their RPOs and, and things like that. Um, but on the other hand, too, uh, you know, look, we gave 21 points, right? Seven of those weren't the defense's fault. It was off Rotomaker's pick six early in the mm -hmm. game, right? So they gave up 14 points. And then after that, all they really gave up was three points for the rest of the game, right? I think that, I think Jacksonville State got a three on a field goal out of halftime. Yep. Uh, you know, they have Marvin Wilson back. They did do a – I mean, let's give them credit. They did have a good stand there. Uh, right. First and goal, they, they held him to a field goal. And that was early in the third quarter. And then uh, – Jacksonville State didn't get anything else for the rest of the game. So they did tighten it up a little bit, um, but it's still concerning. There's still real, no real solutions out there on the boundary. Uh, I don't know. I mean, Miko Dawson, I thought, right, played a little bit in the second half. He got some snaps in there in his first action this season. But there's still got a lot there to figure out. It was good to see Joshua Kando back in. He flashed a couple times uh, mm -hmm. on some pursuit, some different things there. I still thought Janarius Robinson didn't didn't play great. There's one play I think in the first half alone where they're almost running a jet sweep and he's right there in position and just and he sticks out an arm and misses the guy completely. Um, he got way too upfield. So I, I think a lot of times you're seeing these guys in the right position, you're just not seeing them execute. Um, you know, on that mismatch play especially, I think that was a keen dent that sucked in and didn't stay out on his man or switch. Right. If he had stayed, he was right there on the guy and, and it wouldn't, if they even completed the pass, it wouldn't have been a big time gain. So I, you know, they're just thinking about it too much still, it seems like. Yeah, I would agree with that. And this has been a problem the whole season. You know, I, I counted five times guys had tackles at or near the line of scrimmage against Georgia tech in the first half. Mm -hmm. Again, right from the very first uh, half of the season. And they, you're right. They're there. And that's what's so frustrating is, you know, we're talking about talent issues. A lot of people have been uh, hating on, on defensive coordinator Adam Fuller. I think that's misguided and far too early. These guys are in position. You could tell that they're, they're there. They're being coached. They're just not finishing. Whether that's they just need more time or you just don't have the right talent, you know, I don't know. Uh, but like you said about Robinson, he played the Fox a little bit. I did think that the, they defended the edge better, much better than they had against Georgia Tech. A lot of that had may, maybe had to do with Kendo. Um, I know they had Robinson at the Fox um, for a lot of the plays I think I saw. Uh, but Gaynor helped out too. Amari Gaynor's been one of your best players on defense. Uh, so, I, I mean, Kendo was a huge help getting back. They were much better defending the edge. Uh, but, again, the boundary is still, still a problem. Yeah, and I think once you get Hamsa back, when you have him both, both he and Gaynor with their speed and ability to cover the field, 
you know, I don't know exactly how that alignment's going to add up yet, but that's just going to be one more defender that's going to be able to help stop the edge, I think, by flying up there and, and closing up and keeping it from spilling all the way out to the sideline, which we saw so much early this season. Right. I, I don't know where they're going to put um, Nasruddin. Maybe he replaces Jaden Lars Woodby. Woodby, I'm not sure. They did miss uh, Travis Jay in this game, and I know he Definitely. was hurt. I think he was on crutches, right? Yeah. But I was, you know, it's interesting, too, because I think that Travis Jay is going to be a great safety. I do like Renardo Green. Uh, he had one play in particular. I remember he came flying up the alley and did a run fill. It was fantastic to see. Um, and then later on, he was either that, that same driver or the next one. He's still a little bit, you know, working through his issues in, in pass coverage. I thought he had good position um, on that one fade ball to the corner of the end zone, but he just held the receiver's arm for a flag. They got a first and goal. Right. So there's still a little bit to work on there, but I think I think he's he's talented, and I think he's going to get better as, as he plays with more reps. So the safety play, I think, has a good future here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, Steven Dix, I don't think, played very well. He, he's He's been one of their better defenders this season, but in this game he kind of struggled a bit. Um, but you have Gainer. Those two guys, I still believe in. They just need more time. Um, and the defensive end, uh, the defensive line again, they're still disappointing. They didn't get as much pressure and disruption as I would have hoped. They got much more than they have so far this season. Uh, but again, we're talking about the relative talent level, right? Right. So we'll see what they do against Notre Dame. Um, but they did better this game. Just still kind of disappointing. Uh, but hopefully another week, Kane goes back, and you know it helps them out a little bit better. Well, John, I, I, I greatly appreciate you jumping on, spending this time with us. Uh, I, I do encourage everybody to check out John on the website. He does great work, as we mentioned earlier. He's in the four verts. He's, he's all over the place. John, uh, can they catch you on Twitter? Yeah, actually, you can follow me at uh, Pupper State is my handle. Uh, I love dogs. Um, and, uh, yeah, I look, Tim, I love being on here. I was a little bit nervous at first. I appreciate you bringing me on here. This is a ton of fun, um, and I can't wait to do it again. Yeah, bud. Thanks so much for being on with us. Yeah, you too. Take care. Well, again, thanks to John Marchant from Tomahawk Nation. Uh, The guy's got more football knowledge than I'll ever know. Uh, So really appreciate him coming on and sharing his thoughts and also for doing our instant reaction this past week. So John's got a ton of information. Juan, I know you wanted to touch on the defense before we call it a wrap. Yeah. So, um, and like you mentioned, John did a really good job on the instant reaction. Um, I still have my notes here from uh, the instant reaction that I had done, but my microphone (laughs) didn't work correctly. So (laughs) thankfully John stepped in and he did a fantastic job. Um, You guys are going to be hearing a lot more of John over the next, uh, the rest of the season. I think he's going to become more and more part of the Seminole rap team, especially with regards to the instant reaction. I wanted to talk about the defense a little bit because you know, the, the, the complaints you're seeing online or, you know, they gave up 24 points. Um, you know, that's an FCS team, all that sort of thing. First of all, they didn't give up 24 points. They gave up 17 points. Tate Rodemaker gave a gift of seven points to Jacksonville state. Um, and so 17 points allowed, while it's not particularly good and 5.8 yards per play is not particularly good. It's not, I'm not that worried about it mostly because, the issues Florida State has on defense are not going to be fixed with any sort of schematic changes. It's going to be fixed with personnel and time and recruiting. I mean, you just can't paper over the cracks of this defense. And they're trying to. I mean, they're putting guys in different positions. They're they're trying to find ways to get, you know, they put Asante uh, Samuel at boundary corner because that boundary side is so weak for them. 
and in, and even when you're doing that, the field corner position starts suffering. So I mean, you, you're moving the chess pieces around, but the problem is you got a lot of pawns and not a lot of kings and queens out there. So I mean, you don't have the guys you need for for to put together the the puzzle. I mean, there it really is for lack of a better way to put it. It's a jigsaw puzzle that's missing the pieces. It's never going to be complete. You're not going to be able to get a good product, at least in this year. You're going to get more complete when you have Joshua Kendo available, but you're just never going to be able to put something together that's good. And, you know, what's his face? Um, <laughs> I called him, what's his face? Adam Fuller over the years has done a good job in one-year turnarounds at schools like Marshall, Memphis, and there's reason to believe that you know, he has the ability to turn the Florida state defense around, but it's not going to happen in 2020. I don't think it would happen if Nick Saban was the coach or Kirby smart, Jeremy Pruitt doesn't matter. I just don't think the the pieces are there to put that jigsaw puzzle together. You know, it's something that I've kind of said to a couple of different uh, members of Tomahawk nation is, is that uh, if Florida State had gotten the three or the, just the two defensive transfers that Miami had over the past year with with Quincy Roche and uh, Phillips, Jalen Phillips on the other end, if Florida State had just gotten those two players, two of those two transfers, their defense would be leaps and bounds better than what it is right now. And so I think, oh, yeah. you know, improved. so like the defense – the defense is just missing about three, like you said, key pieces. Like the puzzle's coming together, but there's holes. And as they shift one way, it makes another hole this way. So I think there are some players that, that are, are, are good players on this defense. It's just the, the holes are so big in the areas that's struggling that it's kind of bringing the whole defense down. Yeah, I mean, it's think of it like a barrel with, uh, with holes in it, a barrel full of water with holes in it. You're trying to plug it with, you know, and you've got – two hands and you got, there's three holes. You can keep, keep putting your finger in one hole, finger in another hole, and then it spits out the other hole. And you're just going to keep doing that. And like you said, I mean, if you were to get, bring in, you know, a couple of good pass rushing defensive ends, um, I think that would make all the difference in the world. I mean, that's the biggest glaring hole just because they don't have the ability to rush the passer. And because of that, they're forced to start bringing linebackers and it really just messes with the way that they're able to, to, to put the front together. It's funny, Juan, I know you were unable to make our, our interview with John earlier, so you haven't got to hear it while we're recording it. He made the same analogy about plugging holes. I mean, almost exactly word for word. So <laughs> it, it's, uh, I think, you know, we have two people on here saying it now. It's something that maybe everybody should take, take word of. You know, I think Fuller is, is trying to plug the holes where he can, but uh, it's just exposing other areas. Yeah, that's funny because we, we haven't even discussed that analogy like in our Slack chat or anything. <laughs> um, but I think it, the fact that we both came to it sort of gives you a good idea that, yeah, there's, there's just, you know, I mean, you're not going to be able to put those pieces together this year. It's that simple, I'm afraid. Yeah. You know, um, I'll be curious how Florida State does this week against Notre Dame, assuming that there's no COVID cancellation. Uh, I think a COVID cancellation is probably the most uh, – uh, What's the word? The most beneficial outcome for Florida State. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I think it would be good because it, it won't kill momentum if, if they didn't play. You know, from a, a personnel standpoint, I, there has to be a little bit of concern about playing a team coming off of a, uh, a break from COVID that maybe some of those players, even though they test negative, beforehand could still be, you know, could be positive by the time game comes and you'd hate to see Florida State's 
team to be impacted by that as well. So, you know, there has to be some concern there, but also um, Notre Dame's a good team, you know, and I don't think anybody's going to predict Florida State to beat Notre Dame, even with their improvements. Um, so it wouldn't be the worst outcome, you know, yeah, just no. from a strictly uh, standpoint of the program. Yeah, I mean, the, even with all the issues with COVID and um, it, it's Sunday night at about 8 p.m., uh, the Vegas Sportsbooks released a, a line that pretty consensus, the consensus is 21-point favorites. So Florida State is by no means expected to win this game. That's like a 10% chance to win um, when you base it on the probabilities. So this is not a game that Florida State will come out with a win and unless something – pretty crazy were to happen and I think it's 21 now it probably would have been significantly worse if Notre Dame hadn't just taken basically 10 days completely off of football mm-hmm. um you know might have been a four score uh uh line so it's not a it's not a game that Florida State should expect to be very competitive in you got to continue to look for progress as Florida State builds for the future yeah and if the game does happen uh, we'll, we'll have a second podcast later this week. I'm going to be touching base with both Adam and Kevin, uh, your fellow four verts guys, uh, to talk about what to expect from Notre Dame on both sides of the ball. So, and on that note, Juan, thanks so much for joining me tonight. And of course, as always, that's a wrap. And Perry, play the music. Oh, 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 oh.